1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Sarika Serenos of the Funky Kitchen to talk about her experience with cooking for maximum nutrition. Sarika is a nationally certified practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine and Chinese herbal medicine, practicing Japanese-style acupuncture. She teaches on the importance and the practice of traditional food through her program, Fresh, Fun, and flavorful in the Funky Kitchen, and is the author of The Funky Kitchen and founder of NaturallyLivingToday.com. She is a coach for Metabolic Balance of Germany, serves on the board of directors for the National Association of Nutritional Professionals, and is an instructor for Women's Wellness Academy, and is a member of Weston A. Price Foundation. She resides in Northern Arizona with her husband and two children. Welcome to the show today, Sarika.
2: Thank you so much, Greg. I am thrilled to be here. It's exciting.
0: Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely you know i think uh, sometimes calling call us and that's exactly what happened with me even when i was in high school i was trying to kind of help friends with their nutrition mm-hmm. <laughs> even though i didn't know what i was doing and so it was it was it's always been a lifelong pursuit to really try and help people and so after i'd gotten my degree in business i uh, continued with my study at that point in traditional chinese medicine after i'd had my wonderful own personal experience with that and how profound it was in helping me with some of the digestive issues I was having. And so at that point, I that study was a four and a half year program. And in that study, I, I looked at nutrition from the perspective of Western as well as Eastern perspective, where we really got more into the energetics of food, not just the macronutrient profile. And so that was really a lot of fun for me. And it continued to kind to grow this interest that I had. And I've now been practicing um, Japanese-style acupuncture and herbal medicine. Um, Well, since 2001, I've been licensed. And Mm -hmm. so it's been a tremendous thing to be able to work with folks in this capacity. I love it. But I always really kind of have a mental note whenever I'm working with patients that I really don't want them seeing me very often and it's with the intent that I give them homework if you will and one of the very base parts of that homework is working with their nutrition and how we can make changes with that and you know it's so important because you know you'll have folks that are vegetarian or you'll have folks that are even vegan or you know paleo diet or whatever the thing is. In any of these stripes of eating, there are going to be ways that we can always improve upon what we're doing. So I'm never going to tell somebody that they shouldn't be eating you know, a vegan diet if they're really committed to that. But what I learned through the years, um, through, again, our own personal family experience and, and working a lot with organic food and gluten-free food and then us still having issues, it was just so crazy to me. I couldn't believe it. And that's when I really started studying, okay, it's not so much, you know, spending a ton of money on groceries. There's a missing piece here. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when I really started looking at the preparation of the foods.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
2: that is where we go back to, you know, how our ancestors, you know, seem to have done things and how we've really moved away from that in our modern setting. And we're all running around holding the bag on that. I mean, it's just a mess that has been created. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the simplest things that we can do is just make some tweaks to how we prepare food and it can have a profound effect on the bioavailability of the nutrition that we're consuming whether you're vegan or paleo or whatever the thing may be right. and so that's part of the homework that I, that I do with people is you know, helping them to understand how we can work with their nutrition and also how they space their meals in the day all of those things have such bearing on a person's vitality and, and their long standing energy for the day so wow. it's just quite a, it's quite a fun thing to work within
0: so what's one tweak that we can do to our diet that will make it that much better.
2: Right. You know, I would say that one tweak for sure would be, gosh, there are so many that that I love. Uh And I always think about a person uh, from their constitutional perspective, too. Oh,
0: yes. Uh You
2: know, and I, so I kind of look at it from a Chinese and an Ayurvedic perspective. And so, you know, what may be appropriate for one person isn't Mm. necessarily going to be the total right (laughs) fit for the next person, you know that being said
0: (laughs) I was going to say people ask me open-ended questions about permaculture all the time and a hundred percent of the time the answer is well it depends I know and that's what I just got from you
2: (laughs) it depends it does and but you know I would say that one thing for sure that I can kind of across the board say to people mm-hmm. and this isn't going to talk so much about traditional food preparation but rather about the pacing of meals mm, yes. um, kind of across the board what I would recommend is people really look at what their behavior is around breakfast and what oh. I see a lot of people do is they get up and they have a stimulant before they eat uh, so that stimulant could be coffee it could be mate it could be tea whatever the thing is mm-hmm. and there, what that's Going to do, and based off of a person's constitution, it's going to do it more for one person over the next. Some people may not have as strong of an of an effect, but in either in any case, what it is going to do is begin to set them up on a little bit of an energetic roller coaster for the day.
1: Oh, uh, yes, that makes sense. They're
2: going to have peaks and valleys in their energy, and really, I think all of us, what we want in our day is you know just even energy. We don't want to have an afternoon crash. We don't want to have a morning crash we don't want to feel crabby if we miss a meal by an hour or something and so um really uh, the one thing we can all look at is what we do first thing in the morning when Mm -hmm. we get up a person's having a stimulant my suggestion is to bring that into a meal rather than taking it on an empty Got
0: it Yeah, yeah that makes perfect sense That makes perfect sense. So you talk about traditional food preparation. Let's kind of unpack that a little bit and talk about what that is. What is it?
2: Right. Well, the way that I see it um, and the way that, you know, I wrote the book about and everything, it's it, it's about using different methods that pre the food for us is really what it comes mm. down.
0: So and that doesn't sound appetizing at all. It
2: doesn't at all. And I, you know what, one of these days I'll come up with a really great word and I'm going to copyright that word and I'm going to make <laughs> T-shirts out of it because it's not pre-digestion. I know that much. Yeah. <laughs> But what it is, is it is something that takes the heavy lifting of breaking down uh, Mm. macronutrients into smaller components. And so, one example of that is culturing and fermentation. Oh, right. yeah, so that would be taking milk and then you culture it and then you have converted it into yogurt or to milk kefir. Um, another way of doing that would be vegetable matter, and you know you could end up with some sauerkraut or um, you know kimchi, something like that. Right. Another way of doing it is you know if a person's consuming uh, grains and beans, like you know I mean golly, with vegetarians and vegans, you don't have much if you're not eating uh, grains and beans. Right. And that's a group that, for whom it is incredibly important, especially vegans, that they do methods like I'm going to be talking about here because already the amino acid and mineral profile that they have to work with is less than a person who has a much more omnivorous diet. Right. You know? And so, when we don't do a method such as fermentation which is something that I suggest people do on the grains and beans Mm -hmm. and at the very least soaking them so that you begin to break down some of the anti-nutrients that can block uh, mineral absorption and uptake that's incredibly important Mm -hmm. and also uh, getting in the way of the ability to break down proteins and all of this has such bearing and when we look at the tools anthropologically of, of humans from long long ago we can see that there were there were even in in Africa you know so there's been this saying in the paleo movement that grains are very new to the uh, human diet you know the last 10,000 years or so right well in fact, there have been stores of, of archaeological finds in Africa that date back to 100,000 years that uh, not only have very clear evidence that there were a ton of different tools they were using to process grains but then the grains there, you know, the, res- the residue of that was there as well. Wow. So we really do seem to have quite a history of consuming grains but also tinkering with them so that we can use them in our body and so uh, soaking the grains is something that um, is also a very important pre-digestion method Mm -hmm. and like I teach in my class uh, it's also something I like to ferment during that time because then you get additional activity on that
0: food fermented grains
2: with grains yeah Mm
0: -hmm. something other than beer then is that what we're talking about
2: it is although (laughs) that's that's very nice too yeah (laughs) So, yes, something other than that. Um, Another method uh, that is incredibly popular these days is good old broth. Uh, Oh, yes. And, and, you know, that is a predigestion method as well because especially if we're talking about, you know, everybody's consuming bone broth, but Mm -hmm. even the vegetable broth. I mean, what a broth allows you to do is it allows you to take the things that might be too tough or fibrous Mm -hmm. in the case of bones or animal tissues, uh, things that we just don't have the dentition and the jaw strength to get through the way that a a carnivore would, but we're omnivorous, and so it is something that we're designed to eat, but been able to do it because we've tinkered with it and so we put it into a water base and we let it cook for a long period of time and in either case of vegetable matter or of animal matter what we're dealing with then is something that allows us to take those tough bits put them into the solution of the broth and then they become very bioavailable for us Mm, right yeah, so those those are kind of some of the highlights. I also get into low heat dehydration. So once we've soaked something and we want to maintain the enzyme activity of it, right? Um, we want to low heat dehydrate it. We don't want to put it into the oven and really toast it up. Mm-hmm so that's another one yeah that's that i would say that that kind of covers it and what you're doing i mean (laughs) when i teach this to other healthcare practitioners that's almost like my easiest group to teach to because they get it um you know when i say this to the public i think oh gosh i hope i'm not turning people off but what it is is that when you do these methods you're really in many respects taking the domain of your belly And you're taking that action and doing it on the countertop.
1: And so by the
2: time it hits your mouth, Mm -hmm. it is something that is ready to be put to use. And Greg, you and I both know that for so many reasons, people are so taxed these days. Oh, yes. And so, you know, you could be feeding someone an awesome, awesome on the page diet. But if they're not able to break that down and put it to use in their bodies, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. So this helps them to do that so that it's easier for them to put that to use. Nice. Yeah.
0: I have an interesting question here for you. Okay. Why do you think all this matters so much?
2: Well, because of what I just said. People are exhausted and we've Mm. moved away from these methods over the last 60 to 80, 100 years or so. And all you have to do is look at the decimation of the human experience and say, you know what? We're kind of off track here. And, so, if we can assist the body in taking in and putting to use its nutrition, it's the simplest, most profound, sublime thing we can do.
0: Mm. Perfect, perfect. So what are some of the outcomes of really putting this type of of, uh, information, this type of diet to use?
2: Right, you know, I work with people with just different types of things that are going on in their uh-huh. lives i'm a I'm a natural general practitioner is what I am, and so I have a lot of people that I work with who say, "I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, and you know they have like six things they can eat or they think they can eat, and what I find is with doing these methods. It allows greater inclusion of nutrition because I don't think it's going to take a rocket scientist to recognize that you're not going to get full vitality off of eating the same six foods over and over again. Mm -hmm honestly if a person's gut and system is that compromised eventually they're going to start having issues with those six foods and so then you think okay well I'll, I'll be an air fern you know I'm just going to get by on oxygen right. I mean that just isn't a way to you just get painted into a corner and so one of the greatest attributes uh, in my opinion of, of putting this type of thing to use is it increases the versatility the and, and in turn the vitality for people because they're bringing in greater nutrition they're pulling from other sources than they thought that they could and even in those instances i would never say to somebody yes my gosh i know you know you had a sensitivity to x y or z you know go eat a ton of it after it's been fermented Mm -hmm. never do that but to be able to bring in small amounts that have been prepared properly and part of a simple meal is so it's it's heart lifting is what it is because it's you can imagine the frustration the underlying frustration of i can't eat what everybody else is eating oh yeah you know yep and to be able to begin to lift that a bit for somebody is Mm -hmm. such a huge gift such a huge gift yeah so to me that is quite honestly at its heart that's like the biggest reason for doing this
0: perfect So, how do Chinese medicine, acupuncture, both of which you work in, and nutrition work together as a holistic health regime? Very fluidly.
2: It's funny, I and it's Greg. You know, I we as practitioners in whatever we do, whatever our career choice is. Mm -hmm. You know, over time we evolve and we we, it really kind of becomes like who we are, and we do it our own very unique way. And so the way that I practice all of that together, it really is um, a very synergistic. Way of supporting a person. I would feel like my hands were tied behind my back. Uh-huh. One of those legs was taken away. I work with a lot of people from a distance uh, through, you know, with their nutrition and uh-huh. their lifestyle. And eventually, uh, nine times out of ten I get to a point where I just say we have got to also now find you someone in your area who can help you with some acupuncture Right? Um, because going in for a massage is so wonderful um, going in for a chiropractic adjustment is so wonderful there's great great body therapies and I love them um, but acupuncture just like having a chiropractic adjustment or a massage they're all going to Speak differently to the body, mm-hmm. and I find that a really solid acupuncture treatment is one of the finest ways to get the body to start healing, because when it's when it when it's happening right, the person who is being treated goes from a sympathetic override presentation into a parasympathetic relax, respond, and heal presentation. And I, I when I'm working on someone and they go there,
0: you can um, probably see that, can't you?
2: Oh the the breathing everything changes. Right. And it is such a, an honor to be in the presence of that kind of healing that their body is doing. I mean, I'm there to direct traffic and mm-hmm. help guide the process a bit, but they're the ones that are healing. And, you know, I've never been one to call myself a healer or anything like that because I believe with my heart. It's not me. I'm there to direct traffic, Mm -hmm. but it is that person. And if we give the body that opportunity to relax that deeply and then outside of the treatment experience if we have been giving a direction on how you know better sleep hygiene uh, you know more sound bioavailable nutrition uh, some ideas around exercise that help but don't harm I mean so many different little trinkets you know that also fill in the void Uh, it's amazing the synergy that happens with all of that
0: it's really beautiful yeah I can see that Yeah. so you have a free webinar coming up and I kind of want to look at that a little bit what sure. what is it yeah tell us about it
2: it is um you know it's it's about helping people even if they aren't stepping into creating you know traditional food methods in their kitchen mm-hmm. it is about getting people to get into the habit of using some tools so that they're preparing more food at home and having food ready to go at home. Yeah. So they're, they're time-saving ideas. And it's stuff that that I use. And my patients and the people I work with, they so appreciate this information because I am going to be 45 here soon. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a time of convenience foods. Oh, yes. And so you, know, yes, that you were. Skill- it, it, all of us were. Most of us were, anyway. Um, that whole skill set around the forethought of taking care of the future you
1: is,
2: you know, I mean, people just were not, we weren't trained to do that. (laughs) So it's something that I've certainly had to learn and it's so impactful. And even eating as well as we do in our family. Um, if, if for some reason things slide, and we're not taking care of the future us, we're very quickly into the same boat as everybody else, where it's like, oh gosh, what are we going to eat now? Mm-hmm. So, the the webinar is really about starting to get people thinking about how they can save time by making food at home, and, and also save money by doing so, because, you know, a lot of families are, they're very pushed, and they think, oh, if I eat organically, or, mm-hmm any of this stuff it's going to cost me so much money and it's not oh my gosh on you know on the occasion that we do go out to eat I'm shocked at how expensive it is to feed a family of four.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh my you gosh know, it's incredible
2: it's incredible and so you know it's that's what it's about it's just very practical information to help people start to gain that skill set
0: fantastic how do people find out about it and sign up
2: good um well it's it's a very simple u r l it is funky kitchen fresh.com that will allow them to get to the page where they just give me uh, their first name and their email and then they will be on our list so that they know when the webinar begins and they'll have that the webinar itself is going to be live and Mm -hmm. um, at the very end of it I'm going to have a few minutes of Q&A for questions around you know what the content was and so yeah it's fun I love sharing this stuff with people. Fantastic.
0: I can tell you're very passionate about it. (laughs) So do you have any tips for people who want to find a healthier balance between their diet and lifestyle?
2: I would say another one. So really breakfast is where I start with everybody. So please everyone take that to heart. Okay. And Uh then... Don't go eat a cold cereal breakfast that really give yourself more nutrition than that at the beginning of the day, because it really is going to set the tone and even affect your sleep for the next night. So, and that's a big one. So the other part of that is also
0: before you leave that one, though.
2: Yes. No, go ahead. So
0: yogurt is fermented, right? Correct. So that's a that could be considered a cold cereal breakfast if you put some cereal on it, is that more permissible?
2: You know, I'm not a fan of cold cereal, mm. and I mm-hmm. used to eat a lot of it. <laughs> it was my dinner and sometimes my breakfast, too. Mm. And I also used to have tremendous issues with my blood sugar. Oh, and I'm right. not saying the cold cereal was the only culprit. However, it was a big player. There was some research that was done back in the 60s around um, extruded cereal, so extruded grain cereal. So that would be like a flake cereal right, um, or a puff cereal. And there are protein structures that are in the grain and when we put them through an extrusion process with high heat high pressure, or we puff them that way so like even a rice cake would fall under that kind of paradigm as well. right. Um, these research studies showed on autopsy with animals that were fed these foods uh, and these were omnivorous animals as well. It's not like they were feeding you know these foods to animals. It wouldn't necessarily eat those grains in a standard form and in fact that was part of the test structure as well was right. feeding them the same grain but just not in a cold cereal format mm-hmm. and it showed that well these animals out of all the different test subjects and one of and one of the testing groups was also uh, feeding vitamin water and the box that the cereal came in oh. to these animals so that was one of the test groups um, another was what well, they were rats so another was rat chow. And then the other was a cold cereal. And at this time, one of the studies was for cornflakes. And so this was cornflakes from the 1960s. This was cornflakes before high fructose corn syrup. This is cornflakes before GMO.
0: Before it got adulterated.
2: Exactly. All of that. So, I mean, it's the cleaner version of a
0: cornflake. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And in these different groups of rats that were studied, uh, the one that expired the first before the box rats or anything was the cold cereal group. Oh, interesting. And before those animals died, they began displaying very erratic and very volatile behavior Mm -hmm. um, and uh, biting and um, just really um, harsh behavior. And then they would have spasms and they would die. And so they did autopsy on these animals and what they found was that uh, there was a lot of degradation that had happened with these animals along the nervous systems. And there were a lot of issues related to their organ function as well.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: uh, and what it is, is there are these uh, protein structures in the grain because, you know, grain is a, it's going to uh-huh. have protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And these protein structures really become kind of like shrapnel when they oh, have been um, denuded in this puffed or shredded format. And so that's what we're talking about here. That was a long answer to your question, but that's why we don't eat cold cereal. And it's interesting because people, <laughs> like, they'll hear this and they'll say, "But but I eat an organic. you know whole grain cereal and that actually is worse <laughs> because oh. it's going to have a higher protein structure because it's a whole grain as opposed to something that has been more refined and so they're true and, and I'm not even talking about what a food like that does to one's blood sugar mm. um, and so anywho's, it's a bit of an issue and so no I'm not a fan of cold cereal I do like oats um, and you know so to have your yogurt with some oatmeal to mm-hmm. me that's a much better breakfast than taking your cold yogurt and adding you know some kind of cold cereal
0: oh there you go all right fantastic Um, (laughs) so you have a book the funky kitchen in fact we've been friends for a while and i remember when it came out and how excited you were (laughs) tell us about it please
2: Well, The Funky Kitchen is that. Um, it's uh, a book that I created originally for other healthcare practitioners. And it was part of a class I was teaching. And one of the other uh, practitioners who was there with me, who would written at that time 15 books of his own. So oh, my it was, gosh. No problem for him. His name's Dr. Jack Tips. And Jack said to me, "Srika, you've got everything here to m- write a book. You should do that. And so I did. And so the first version of the book was... For this event that I was teaching at and then I got to looking at and I thought you know what I made that very simple and clear I broke it down into you know just simple chapters and kind of followed the same method throughout so that people could just learn one method and then move on to the next and so I reissued the book with some new photography just shortly after the first edition Mm -hmm. and that's what the book is and You know it's a lot to rewrite a book and to make changes Uh Uh, it's you know that and so um, part of why I, I created my course it's because it takes the book and turns it into a living document and it allows me to work with people with their very specific um, proclivities to where they live, you know temperature, what they have available to them to work with, their own you know dietary concerns and whatnot. and it's really cool because the class itself is something that I end up getting people from all around the world in it. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, it's so wonderful and so I mean you know what I'm going to suggest to somebody in Guam is going to be different than I would suggest to someone in Germany
0: yeah exactly
2: yeah so it's really neat
0: cool Fantastic. Where can people find your book at? Let's just go there. Oh, it's
2: on Amazon. Oh, All right, cool.
0: (laughs) Funky, the Funky Kitchen.
2: The Funky Kitchen. Mm -hmm.
0: Great. I'm going to shift a little bit on you and I want to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it.
2: Right. You know, when you're working with food... Or you bump into failure sometimes, you know, you just do. And I know this may sound like a trite thing, but it's a really cool thing because again, I think we get kinda of scared around food sometimes when it's something that we've not been raised with in terms of preparation and right you know and and also quite honestly when you're doing these traditional methods um you know sometimes if you're fermenting or culturing you think oh my gosh am I gonna make myself sick I've had this stuff out on the counter for a day you know that right. sort of thing so there's a lot of faith and trust and that's why I, I handhold with everybody as we're going through the class but the the thing that happens a lot is you know gosh the texture on this didn't turn out right or whatever that thing may be now if it's mold it gets chucked there's no, I don't work with mold. That doesn't happen. But sometimes, you know, like a, a batter or a dough for the bread, we just added too much water to it. Mm. And so rather than, you know, crying in my bread dough, <laughs> uh, I look at it and I say, you know, I'll make pancakes out of that. And so, you know, mm-hmm. then
1: I'll whip up all the other
2: ingredients for pancakes, which right. would be the eggs and the milk and coconut oil and everything, and incorporate that into that very <laughs> wet, what, what should have been bread dough. And then we've got pancakes to last us all week and they just get reheated in the toaster oven and the kids are stoked, it's all good and so, right. you know, it sounds like a trite thing but that, I have seen people do that so it's kind of like the traditional food preparation um, saying, you know, of, you know making lemonade out of lemons this is making pancakes out of bread dough <laughs> <laughs> <It's
0: funny>. Wow <laughs> So what do you consider your biggest success?
2: Oh golly that's a nice question. I don't know. I think when we do this kind of work, we don't sit and think about those things too much, do we? Because you just stay busy doing what you do, and you just—I think—I think my biggest success is finding one, finding the husband I found because he is awesome. Oh, nice! And he totally supported me being me. And in doing so, it has allowed me to continue to just follow my inspiration in the career path that has has chosen me. That's been a real one two punch. I'm very grateful.
0: Cool. What drives you? What's your big why?
2: You know, my big why is never settling for being told that there isn't an answer. Uh, there's Uh, that just doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. and so and that's part of why i practice chinese medicine it's a completely different paradigm of looking at the world and people's health and and you know the entire cosmos so it's a way that allows me to continue to just keep digging a little bit deeper there's never a set in stone answer and so it's that just recognizing that there's always going to be another way we can look at things
0: Great. So I'm all about education and I have to know what one book has been most influential in your life in this process.
2: In this process, uh, I would say that the book that and it's interesting because I don't anyways, the one that really got me going with traditional food preparation was actually the maker's diet. And it was a book written by Jordan Rubin. And it's not that he so much went into traditional food preparation, but it was the first book that I read that really spoke to me about the importance of kind of looking at how our ancestors did things Mm, and then from that that's when I moved on to Weston A. Price's work and that sort of thing but I got to give credence to that book The Maker's Diet that is really what started me on the path and then you know and then you find where he probably took his inspiration where you know from the people before him I would say that
0: perfect so what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners
2: have good sleep that's very important. Get oh, a good night's yes. rest so that the next day you're not craving a bunch of carbohydrates
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, while you're trying to pick up your energy. And so really be mindful of how you set yourself up for sleep every night.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and sharing your experience with Sarika.
2: Oh, thank you, Greg. I've loved being here.
0: Absolutely. So I just want to re here real quick how our listeners can get a hold of you and your... Funky Kitchen webinar that you've got coming up here. So Mm
2: -hmm.
0: speak to that again real quick.
2: Yes, you bet. FunkyKitchenFresh.com is that. And then, if folks want to just kind of check me out generally, um, my my blog is naturallylivingtoday.com. And you can meet me there. And um, I've got a little giveaway on the landing page there. I've got a lot of video work I've done and whatnot, lots of recipes and ideas about living more naturally in the modern world.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Well, that's <laughs> it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast.